Welcome on in, Braves Today podcast. Bravestoday.com is the website. I'm Lindsey Crosby, managing editor of Sports Illustrated's baseball coverage, and here with Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And Ben, I wanted to ask, we've seen this Atlanta Braves team look a little bit different after the All-Star break as far as the win-loss record. And a lot of fans are asking questions about, okay, so what happens now? Is this something where baseball kind of has natural ebbs and flows and this is just something that's going to correct itself? Were we outperforming expectations in the first half? What do you think you can kind of ascribe the difference in outcomes and series wins and losses in the second half versus the first half? Yeah, really good question. And thanks for having me, by the way. And um, this is a lot of of fun for me. But um, this season has been a lot of fun, no doubt about that. And I think it's natural for fans to to wonder when when the team goes through a little bit of a struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to happen over the course of 162. It doesn't matter who you are. I think if you're looking for a specific number, I think if you're looking for a specific place to start, you'd probably begin with starting pitching. I think since the All-Star break, uh, the pitchers, starting pitchers ERA has been over five. Um, I don't five, really, nine, two. Uh, yeah, okay, perfect. There's the number right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, nobody likes to hear those numbers. If you're a fan of the team, the players certainly don't, but it's going to happen. Uh, I try to draw the comparison to what people do on their day to day. Um, people who aren't in front of a television camera or behind a microphone or have every single thing with their work displayed for millions of people to see, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have good days and bad days. Even the best at their professions are going to have bad days. And that's what this team has seen. And uh, They're in the midst of a stretch where the starting pitching just kind of fell out of their groove a little bit. I think you feel pretty good about what you saw from Max Fried in his last outing versus the Cubs. And he's going uh, tonight in the third game of the series versus Pittsburgh. So very excited about that. I think the last outing for Spencer, even the best, even the guys that strike out 10, 10 guys a night are going to have uh, nights like he had the other night where he just can't find it. Uh, for Charlie Morton, I mean, he's knocking on the door 40, and I feel like more times than not that curveball is going to be there for him, but sometimes mm-hmm. it just isn't, and there are some inconsistencies, and he'll have more walks than normal. It doesn't bother me. Um, I don't get too – I don't really ride the, the emotional roller coaster of the day-to-day. If this team were to have a really bad week, week and a half at this point of the season, at that point I'd say, okay, this is a little bit troublesome. Um, but to me, and this is what I've learned for the last couple of years, you want to have a good season. You want to win your division. You want to get into the postseason. But who are you come October 1? To me, that's the most important thing, especially with this uh, widened postseason field that we have now. We saw the Phillies get hot last year, and they went all the way to the World Series. Same thing happened for us two years ago. So the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows over the course of 162, they're going to happen to the best and to the worst. Um, but at the same time, I feel like this team is giving you a really good idea of who they are for a large portion of the season, and that's who I feel that they are. Yeah, it, it's who they are is just a team with a, a dominant offense. You look at just about every statistic you can possibly find, and this Braves team is one of the best in history at you know slugging percentage or OPS and things like that. Have you, in your, your 13 seasons with the Braves Radio Network, have you ever seen, you think, like a complete offense, a complete lineup one through nine like this? No, I haven't. And, and here's, here's the thing. I don't want to say that we get jaded um, because I'm used to seeing this night in, night out. And this season, while it's better than what we saw eventually last year and the year before, it, it's only slightly better. And what I mean by that is we've seen a really prolific offense each of the last few seasons. Yeah. So while this one really stands out to everybody else, um, it, it's, hard to, it's hard for me to take a step back and, and see what it means 
for the grand scheme of things. Uh, the, the real indicator for me is when we go play other teams and we play them for a three or four game series and their broadcasters come to us and they say, we've never seen anything like this. <laughs> that happened last night with some of the Pittsburgh broadcasters. That happened in Milwaukee with Brian Anderson. That's happened multiple times here recently and throughout the season where teams will say, you know, I, I've not seen a lineup that deep. Um, I, I think the one thing that you really get concerned about is, and going back to kind of your first question, you don't want to have to feel like you have to beat every team 10-9 to 9 because your pitching's not doing all that well. That's the biggest concern. But it's good to have that bullet in the chamber. I think it, it's really good to know that your offense, even if you fall down 4 nothing early or you give up a big inning, they're typically not going to wave a white flag. They're typically going to put put together some really good ABs, hit some home runs, and at least get back into the game. So knowing that you've got that as your ace in the hole, that's a really big ace to have. Yeah, and and talking about kind of like what that does for you, you're a person that is around the team and these players all the time, and it's an incredibly long season. We don't necessarily, like as fans, I don't think we give enough attention to the mental grind of 162 games plus spring training plus hopefully the postseason like have you kind of kept track of how many nights you're going to be away from home or how many games you're going to end up broadcasting this year to kind of give people an idea of like this is this is a, a mental grind as well as a physical grind for the players yeah very much so i think sometimes um and i'm granted i'm i'm older than most of the players um, all the players, actually. I'm 43 <laughs> years old. But at the same time, the human body's the human body. Yeah. Uh, and I think about times where I feel tired during the season. And I think, well, if I feel tired, imagine what the players feel like. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a real thing. That, that's certainly tangible. Um, I, I, I think over the course of 162, there's the mindset of this is what we do for work. And not to simplify it that much, but I think right. we do that. I think these guys view this as, well, this is my job. This is what I do every single day. I go to work and I try to hit a baseball, catch a baseball, field a baseball, uh, and then we do it again the next day. I think that mentality, and this team is as good as I've ever seen at that, I think mm -hmm. that mentality helps them get past bad days. I think it allows them to stay focused when their things are going really well and not get too focused on themselves, not get too high or too low. It's such an overused cliche sometimes, Lindsay. I, you, you hear people say, you don't want to get too high, get too low, but it's such a real thing. Yeah. Um, I, and I've witnessed that with this team. I, I go back to 2021, and maybe the most there, there's two things really stand out about that championship team. But one thing that was so impressive to me is even the worst losses that they may have had, they didn't linger to the next day. I don't think they had back-to-back -back losses after like September the 9th or something like that through through November the second with the world yeah. last game of the World Series. This team has a lot of that. Um, I was going through it last night. Before the game ended last night, they had a three-game losing streak. I think it was their fifth three-game losing streak of the season. Um, but they've not had one of more than four losses in the last three or four years. I mean, think about that. The only team in Major League Baseball who hasn't had a losing streak of five or more games since, I think, 2018. Uh, that's remarkable. So I, I bring that up. I know that's a long-winded way to answer your question. But I bring that up just to say they're so good at taking it day by day. Um, not getting too high, not getting too low. And that's, to me, one of the biggest things this team has going for them because they handle the grind mentally and physically of the 162 because it is very real. Yeah, and and it's, this Braves team is different. Like, that's something that we hear a lot from opposing fans. You probably hear it from opposing broadcasters and things like that. This team is different, and it goes to the character in the clubhouse, the chemistry and things like that. Uh, what's different? 
about Atlanta. You've spent time. I, I, I'm pretty sure you've visited now just about every single ballpark, and you've you know that you've been in all all these environments, if maybe for a couple of days or so. What's different about Atlanta? Uh, and the chemistry these guys have? Is it the fact they all grew up in the Southeast with TBS watching the Braves? Or, you know, and like this is their, their dream team? Or what's, what's different about this team? About this team? Um, well, I think first and foremost, there's a standard set here. I, I think whether it's the guys who have come up in this organization or mm-hmm. whether it's the guys who are traded from another team and come here, there's an expectation when they step foot in the door that you're going to win. Yeah. Um, and it's not just not that you take that for granted, but it's you're going to put the work in to make sure that you go win. There, there's there's that level. There's that expectation. They've won five straight division titles. And, and all the guys who are here now, they, they are certainly students of the game. They, they saw what happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago with this organization, mm-hmm. uh, winning 14 straight and winning in 1995 and those sorts of things. So I think that standard, that expectation is there. I also feel like something that, that doesn't get enough credit is the continuity of this entire coaching staff. You have guys who have have played Major League Baseball at a very high level. Um, you have guys who have managed in, in the big leagues, outside of Snit, obviously, with Wash and, and with Walt. But you've got guys with, with, with Sites, with Walt, with Wash, with EY, with Sal. Um, these, these guys have played in the big leagues. I think that goes a long way for our players. I think knowing that you can go to Walt Weiss or going to do Rick Kranitz or going to whomever you want and knowing that those guys have, have been at this level for a long time as a player or coach or manager or all of the above, mm-hmm. I think that goes a long way. That certainly opens some ears. So that, that goes a long way for me with this team. And the fact that they've, they've kept this coaching staff together as long as they have is pretty remarkable given how much that they've been winning. But um, I do think that standard is set. And I think when, when players come here, they, they know what the expectation is. And, and they've done that. And they have focused on the fundamentals, pitching, defense. And uh, it's been fun to watch. And you just hope that that continues for many years. Absolutely. It's it's one of the best parts of being a fan is is not only getting to watch a team every day, but also knowing you mentioned continuity in the coaching staff. But I think continuity on the roster means a lot sure. as well. You have so many guys that are not only there and signed to long term contracts as a fan, you're not afraid to buy a jersey. But then also uh, for these guys, it's guys who play every single day for Matt Olson, for Austin Riley, for Orlando Arcia outside of the injury for Ronald Acuna Jr. And we're hoping he's in the, the lineup tonight after getting hit by a pitch yesterday. But the the struggles of some guys who don't get to play every day, it, that all comes back to baseball in a routine, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Just yeah, it does. It definitely does. That, it, it's, such a, um, it's such a major part of what we do day in and day out mm-hmm. is to have that routine. And, and one of the things that I really enjoy, Lindsay, is, is seeing the, the young guys learn that routine and watch it evolve as they progress through their careers. Mm-hmm. In other words, the routine that Austin Riley has right now, probably different than what it was four years ago. Uh, it, the routine that maybe Spencer Strider has right now could evolve and be something a little bit different five years down the road. And, and guys, finding what learns for them, that goes a, a very, very long way. Um, I, I think that when it comes to the continuity of the roster, those guys that you mentioned, and this has been going on for, for a while, even with different players. I mean, you think about this is the case when Freddie was certainly here. These guys post every single day. And there are some people who might look down on that and say, well, they shouldn't be playing 160 games a year. They're going to run out of gas come the end of the season. Snit might even agree with you on that. And, and if he can give a guy an extra day, he, he will, especially as pitchers. 
But these guys have that option. If they need a day, they'll let them know. They never do. They want to be out there every single day. I really find that remarkable because we've. it really concerned me a couple of years ago. I'll go back to 2020, not necessarily 2020 with the COVID year, but 2019, 2021, and we're getting into September. And I'm seeing 140 games played for Austin Riley, for Dansby Swanson, for Freddie Freeman. And I'm thinking, how is this going to work? This is what they want to do. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that that is – an expectation. In other words, if Matt Olson said, I need a day, I don't think that would be looked out upon by the rest of the team by any means. But these guys want to be out there every single day. They want to post. They want to have that um, that continuity. Um, they all know what it takes to be good teammates and good players. And that goes a long way here. I've, I've heard so much of an emphasis on being a good teammate uh, mm -hmm. in Atlanta. And, and I've seen guys do that. And they do a lot of things together. I've not seen that for, for every team that, that I've covered here. Uh, nine innings comes and goes, and guys go in 26 different directions. That doesn't happen with this team. And, and I like that. Uh, maybe that's kind of hokey to some people, but I, I like knowing that our guys spend a lot of time with each other. And to me, that's a, a winning tradition and a, and a winning clubhouse. And seeing that continuity on and off the field, I think, certainly goes a long way. Yeah, and, and chemistry is that one thing that we, we – can't quantify right now we don't have the the stats we don't have the analytics that can kind of explain what that does to a team so that's always a big thing and people noticing that I think is one of the the differentiators for Atlanta is just how much they like each other and how much they enjoy playing with each other and they take pride in what they do uh, and talking about the lineup something I think that Atlanta has a luxury we sometimes take for granted is having two catchers of the quality mm -hmm. of a Sean Murphy and a Travis Darno. Can you think of another time in your, you know, just baseball career that you've seen a team have two catchers that were in essence interchangeable? They could both bat fifth in the lineup. They give you the same def on defense, on offense, and and can both take the load if they need to while the other guy's out for some reason. Not like this because what you'll see, and I've seen this before, where you have two catchers and and one guy he might bat fourth or fifth. Uh, he's going to be back behind the plate four or five days a week. Then you got your other catcher. And maybe he's really good defensively. Maybe he's mm -hmm. got a good pop time or he works really well with a specific pitcher. But he's probably hitting eighth or even ninth because he's probably going to hit about 210. And maybe he'll run into one here and there, but that's really about it. With these two guys, um, I, don't, I don't find myself night in, night out wondering who's catching tonight because I'm hoping it's one guy over the other. I, I don't see that. Right. I, I, think it would, I think it's hard for Snit because it's – Who's the hot bat right now? Which guy do I want to plug in? Because defensively, I'm going to be fine. And I feel like offensively, more times than not, I'm going to be in good shape. Um, I love what Sean Murphy has brought to this team. I love uh, the kind of uh, personality that he is. He is such a – and maybe it's because it's his first year. But he is such a lead-by-example uh, not by spoken word. He doesn't have much to say, but he works hard. And these pitchers, it, it's been fun to me to, to listen to Spencer Strider and Bryce Elder, two young guys who after just one start at spring training or one start in the regular season uh, with, with Sean Murphy, a brand new catcher. It's not easy to just welcome in a brand new catcher if you're a pitcher and just jive with that guy immediately. These guys were glowing about Sean Murphy and the way that he called the game and the way that he is behind the plate and how comfortable he made them. That's not easy to do. A lot of times that will take months, maybe even several seasons to really get acclimated with a guy where you feel that way about a catcher. And they already felt that way about Travi. I mean, it's in years past, 
Um, and, and this isn't a, a negative statement on William Contreras by any means, but Max Freed and Travis Darno. if Max was pitching, Travis is behind the plate. He wasn't going to work with anybody else. You don't really have that anymore. This entire staff feels comfortable with whomever is back there behind the plate. Um, they work extremely well together. So to answer your question, I've not seen that. And you might have some other close examples and, and people who have followed baseball longer than I have that would could pick the two catchers. But number one, this is a different day and age of baseball where unless you're JT Romuto, your, your catcher is probably not back there 145 games a year. You'd like to split it up, and it, it's hard to split it up between two guys better than these two. Yeah, and, and I've noticed just, just anecdotally that over the summer, as we've come out of the All-Star break, it feels like Snit's working Travis in a little bit more to give Sean a little bit more time off. I know it's his it's his first year in a new city. And I do think that we saw this with Matt Olson last year, that when these guys pick up and they move across the country or they, you know, they change teams and things like that, there is an adjustment period. It's not sure. just plug and play a guy. And so is it something where you can notice from your side where guys are getting acclimated into the team? And, and the comfort level is kind of dictating how how much they're able to perform? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, put it to you like this. Let's let's say you're uh, an architect in, mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Go move to Sacramento and tell me how long it takes for you to get acclimated with everything that's new there. It, it's, it's very similar for a baseball player, and you might give the rebuttal, well, these guys are making millions and millions of dollars, and that's true, but it, you're still a human being. And, and there's still an acclimation period. There's still some getting used to. And in Matt's case, and, and I have so much respect for Matt but because of the way he handled last year, his numbers were good. He had mm-hmm. a good season. Was the batting average what you wanted it to be? Was it what he wanted it to be? Probably not. But he just moved from a place where there might have been 3,000 people a night. Nobody's there. You're playing on the West Coast. Nobody's really keeping up with you. You can kind of move along with, without any expectations at all in Oakland. And then you move back home where everybody you've ever met in your life and their mother and cousin and dentist are all trying to hit you up and say hello and, and, and try to latch on. Um, and you're coming back home to play for your hometown team. You're stepping in for a guy who might be a Hall of Famer one day who goes to Los Angeles in Freddie Freeman. And on the, at the same time, these expectations are through the roof. You never had expectations like that at Oakland. Yeah. And he went out there and he posted and he was out there just about every single day. And I think what he's done this season is feel significantly more comfortable now that he's in his second full year in Atlanta mm-hmm. and moving him from two to four in the order made all the difference in the world. Go look at the splits for what he, what he did batting second versus what he's done batting cleanup. It's remarkable. He's put himself into the MVP uh, race in the national league. So it, it's been awesome to see. So I, I use Matt as an example for anybody else, Murph, whomever, who comes over from somewhere else and has that time to get acclimated. I don't know that too many people could have handled it as well as Matt did last year. And the steps that he's taken this year, um, it, it feels like he is certainly a major leader of this team. He definitely is. And I felt like that started at spring training for him. Yeah. Uh, real quick, kind of a rapid fire here. Want your your immediate first take on some of these things. Just co- kind of going off of your experience. Uh, favorite road ballpark to call a game in? Probably Dodger Stadium or Wrigley Field. Even uh, though Dodger Stadium's super loud? I don't mind it. I'm one of the few. Everybody that I work with hates how loud Dodger Stadium is. For me, when we play at Dodger Stadium, it could be a Tuesday night in May. It could be game seven of the NLCS. It feels like a really, really big game every single time. 
Um, and to me, it's it's become a rivalry. These two teams have been the two best teams in the National League for the last five, six years, and it's been so much fun to watch that. Uh, which press box is higher, Texas or Washington? I think Washington is the highest. We <laughs> and I'll give you a little bit of a story. To me, it's Washington, Pittsburgh, and Texas are all in that same vicinity. I think Pittsburgh's is a little bit lower, but further back. And we bring a rangefinder on the road, and we'll shoot the plate from the box. And we shot PNC Park last night, and it was 240 feet from the plate to our booth. That's a long way, especially when you're relying on your two eyes to try to see the action and tell everybody what's going on. But I, I think Washington's just a hair higher than Texas. Yeah. Favorite minor league ballpark you ever caught a game in? Oh, wow. Because the easy answer is Trustmark Park there in Mississippi, but I know that you've got to have, that you're, you've been to a lot of them. Yeah, been to a lot. Did six years of minor league baseball. Um, the one that really jumps out more than any ballpark to me is probably the Montgomery Biscuits ballpark. Um, it, it was a really cool design because it's a former train depot that it, that they turned into a ballpark. But the thing that I loved is usually at least once in a ball game, sometimes twice, the train would roll through. And the train track was just on the other side of the left field wall. It ran parallel to the left field wall. So a center field curled on around into right field, the train track split and went the other way. But when the train would come through, the conductors would be elbow out the window, laying on the horn, and I'd quit talking because <laughs> I couldn't even hear myself. And I thought that was so funny that a train would be just on the other side of a left fielder. So that was really unique. And also did a year in the Northwest League and um, enjoyed some of the ballparks out there. And I was with the Eugene Emeralds and our ballpark, which has since burned down when I was there, was built in the 1930s. It was an all-wooden structure. had a big wooden canopy and everything. So that one sticks out, too. Most exciting non-Braves player to watch play baseball? Right now? Right now. Well, for what I saw in Cincinnati that one night, it was Ellie De La Cruz. I mean, he hits for the cycle. And we're looking around, and I'm, I'm, I said, I've never seen a cycle like this before. Now, I know he's cooled off since then. Yeah. But every time that kid climbed in the box in that ball game, that one particular night, it, it was, uh, what's he going to do now? I know a lot of people would say probably Shohei. And I didn't get to see Shohei pitch this year. He pitched the night after our final game in Atlanta. And, and it's certainly fun to watch him. Anytime I get home from one of our games and, and one of their games is on, uh, I mean, number one, I love to watch it because Wayne Randazzo is their TV guy. He's a good buddy of mine, and I love to mm -hmm. hear Wayne. And I try to catch an A-B by Shohei. I loved watching Julio Rodriguez last year um, when we saw him. And outside of that, I mean, that's those are the guys that are at the very top of my list for 2023. You can pick any one uh, active broadcaster at MLB to do a series with it in the booth with you. Who is it? One active? One active. Um, John Miller. Um, that's a good one. John is... Um, I've been following John for the longest time. And, and it's so hard to answer that question. I know I answered it quickly. There's so many great ones today that I look up to and love being around and learning from. But John is, is a guy who, to me, is one of the greatest broadcasters in the history of the game and has been for a long time. And I love his voice and his delivery and his uniqueness and his passion for the game. I think it's outstanding. I think he and maybe Tom Hamilton will probably be towards the top of my list because I love the energy that they bring and mm -hmm. um, the, the uniqueness in which they call a game. Uh, last one, best road city to have an off day in? 
Chicago, Illinois. There's no doubt about it. And um, in fact, if you're hearing a little bit of a cold in my voice right now, it's because we were in Chicago and we went a little bit too hard in the paint in Chicago because we had nothing but uh, nothing but day games. So dinner reservations every single night. But Chicago's great. And then um, I'll, I'll also give a, a an honorable mention to Miami. If we have an off day in Miami, mm-hmm. my girlfriend will typically fly down and that's a great place to to spend with your significant other on an off day here we go ben ingram thank you for your time thank you for joining braves today we we really appreciate it you got it Lindsay. thanks so much for having me man